Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It is April 7th, 2021, as we are streaming live on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash socks machine and this comes minutes i was hoping for hours jim uh, after the white Sox and seattle mariners wrapped up their final game in seattle uh a crushing blow for the white Sox. they had a four to one lead going into the sixth inning or in the sixth inning i should say before everything blew up in their face they allowed seven runs they end up losing eight to four and now the white Sox are three and four heading into their homestand. We will we will be recapping as far as that series in Seattle and what happened in that third game and what, what has happened in that game three of that Seattle series and the, the loss for the White Sox is just a continuation of what we also saw in Anaheim in the losses the White Sox suffered against the Angels. We're starting to see a pattern. We'll discuss that later on. Uh, more bad news. Tim Anderson is going on the injured list and maybe Billy Hamilton is going to be following him up as well uh, with a hamstring issue. So we'll discuss as far as the White Sox injured list and who we could see possibly join the 26 man roster to get through the homestand as the White Sox have three games against the Kansas City Royals and then four games against the Cleveland Indians from Monday through Thursday next week and we will be later in the show previewing the home opening series for the Chicago White Sox and hopefully those three games against Kansas City goes a lot better than what we have seen in this road trip and let's start there Jim the Chicago White Sox are 
three and four to start 2021. It's not the end of the world as far as the record wise, but it is disappointing because there are three games as a White Sox fan that you can point to and say, we had the lead, we had a commanding lead, and if the bullpen and defense was as good as we thought they were before this season, maybe this team is six and one, but they should be at least four and three, if not five and two, if they win two or one of those three games, but they end up losing all three of those games. And it is a bit of a gut punch the way they lost to Seattle today. It is weird, though, because uh, one of the uh, games that they won, uh, the 12-day victory over the Angels where Yurene Mercedes went off, that was a situation where, you know, they could have lost it because they blew a 7-6 to six lead. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they allowed eight runs. So, I mean, they very well could be, like, when, when you just evaluate the quality of their play so far, they very well could be 2-5. and five. So, it's a weird start. It's, uh, you know, I, I would like to see the White Sox lose a game normally, I think, because <laughs> like in, in the Sox machine system, like I have a tag usually every year for like top losses, top wins, just for, yeah. to, for easy reference, you know, usually ends up being like 20 or so losses that I, I round down to 10 or whatever. But in this case, like, you know, basically all the losses are bad losses. I, the White Sox might consider ruining later, you know, when they're evaluating the standings and seeing that, you know, if, should they be behind the twins by so many games, like, well, the first week of the season basically is uh, three games in that column already. So it's been rough. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things I was thinking about is with Tony La Russa managing and every single time a new manager takes over, they talk about the spring training being focused and detailed and, and getting back <laughs> to basics. And, you know, it happened with Robin Ventura after Ozzie Guillen and it happened with Rick Renteria after Robin Ventura and it happened with La Russa. And this week is just basically wasted no time dismantling that into basically just a, an easy narrative or, or, or storyline that usually is maybe a little bit true, but not as true as people give weight to it. You want to talk about the bullpen management? Cause that is a very popular topic right now for White yeah, Sox. Yeah, as well. Yeah. So let's well. revisit the sixth inning of today's game between the White Sox and the Seattle Mariners. Again, the White Sox had a four to one lead and Dallas Keuchel was trying to become the first White Sox starter uh, early in this season to get through six innings. Lucas Giolito hasn't done it. Nobody has done it. Uh, and to start the sixth inning, he walks the leadoff hitter. Then he allows a single. Now you got runners on first and second. The tying run is coming up to the plate. And Tony the Russa decides to go to the bullpen and get Matt Foster. Let's start there. Do you agree with the decision to bring in a reliever like Matt Foster in that situation in the sixth inning, Jim? Uh, theoretically, I don't mind it based on what Foster did last year. My first thought, though, was that this is the situation where Rick Renteria absolutely relied on Jimmy Cordero at all times. Mm-hmm. And Cordero generally got the job done. Like he was 36 for 38 and stranding runners over his two years. And that's because he had that heavy sinker. He had the double play ball, you know, always in his disposal. The White Sox, well, I mean, Adam Eaton's throwing error took away the double play, but Usually, you know, the uh, Renteria would bring in Cordero because he got that ground ball or you had the ability to get weak contact to minimize the likelihood of like a, a huge inning uh, and, and limit the bleeding. And in this case, like Foster comes in, he's a fly ball pitcher, you know, uses that high fastball uh, to get outs and, and pairs it with a change up that tails away. But he's not really a, uh, a ground baller. He either gets swings and misses or he gets fly balls slash pop ups. And in this case, like the one ground ball he got was a rocket off Jake Lamb's uh, glove that loaded the bases. Everything else is a fly ball afterwards. And so I think if I had one criticism about the move, 
if they were looking for a double play, Foster wasn't the guy to do it. Is this something that Larusa now has to learn? Because after the game, speaking with reporters, Larusa was pretty blunt in his self criticism that he did a lousy job of managing that inning. Is this just something that Larusa has to learn? What kind of personnel that he has on his hands, knowing that? Hey, if I need a you know double play, if I need a ground ball, which in that situation a reliever coming in with runners in first and second, nobody out, you want a ground ball to try to get two uh, to limit whatever damage could possibly be given up. Is this just a learning lesson for Larusa now that he knows? Hey, Matt Foster's not my guy in that situation. I think it could be. I mean, part of the first week of a season, maybe even first month of a season, is a manager getting used to his personnel. And, you know, Larusa is new. So, you know, it probably even take him a bit longer to figure out who he wants where. Uh, I think the problem was, you know, not getting a reliever ready behind Foster mm-hmm. sooner. You know, because, you know, Foster had a great year last year. If he gives up a couple of sack flies and it's a, uh, four to three game, then, you know, he more or less did his job. He, he can't control the situation he inherited. He just has to get basically three outs as quickly as possible, however it happens. So Foster, you know, at least last year was a reliable candidate, candidate to get those three outs. So that, that move wasn't bad, you know, and the White Sox, you know, outside of like Aaron Bummer, uh, maybe Evan Marshall, you know, they're, they're ground ball guys, but you know, when you're looking at guys who hadn't been used recently, I think maybe Bummer is the only one left and, you know, Bummer ended up coming in to get work after the game was pretty much out of hand after that. So, you know, maybe if they're doing it over again, I'd probably have Bummer as a backup sooner. If he's a guy who's going to pitch anyway, it mm-hmm. would seem like it'd make sense to have him ready to go when the situation was still within reach and he could actually make a difference. But when, you know, uh, Aaron Bummer pitches then, and then Liam Hendricks comes in for an inning of work, and Hendricks has really only recorded one out in any situation that's even medium leverage. Uh, that's a case where you you step back and you realize, like, bullpen's been getting a lot of work, but the two best relievers really haven't been working uh, mm-hmm. or really haven't had situations that normally call for them. So maybe the script needs to be uh, accelerated and maybe treat the sixth inning as the eighth and then hope that maybe by the eighth inning, it's more like the sixth. Yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of a old school tendency here, right? As far yeah. as on how LaRusa is managing this bullpen, it kind of reminds me of Ned Yost and the way that he managed this bullpen in Kansas city. Remember that, you know, yeah. he had, he had a sixth inning guy, he had a seventh inning guy and it worked well for him uh, when they won the pennant back to back years and then won the world series. Yeah. Well, even then, like it was the wild well, card. Yeah. yeah, the wild card game is the one that broke him from that that model because he almost got in trouble by being too strict and not going to, uh, you know, Herrera and then Wade Davis and Greg Holland. He just he stuck to the script, and that's when he I think his life flashed before his eyes and ended up winning that game anyway. But after that, he became a little bit looser, and maybe Larusa. This is one of the situations where. Uh, it gets away from him and he just, and, and after the game, he admitted he screwed up. So hopefully he's embarrassed and, and that embarrassment, you know, lingers a little bit and, and causes him to maybe uh, evaluate usage. And then if guys are lightly used, you know, maybe not be afraid to bring them in for crises that are earlier than maybe he'd use them for. David's asking a good question regarding as far as Ethan Katz. So again, you got Tony the Russo hall of fame manager, Mm-hmm. with a brand spanking new pitching coach who is seven games into his major league coaching career uh, as being the guy, as the pitching coach for a baseball team. And David's asking, should Ethan Katz be helping him 
with that information on which relievers to use. I mean, he should, but he's also new too. I think that's maybe the issue is that, you know, when the White Sox have had the same pitching coach for since 2003, you know, through 2020 and, and, and basically lasting through Jerry Manuel, Ozzie Hinn, uh, Robin Ventura, Rick Renteria, just he's been the fixture, the constant the whole time. So he's always brings with him, even if with a new administration, just knowledge of what happened the year before and like an intense, I would say an intimate knowledge and, and, He's recorded those embarrassments and, and triumphs of the, from the year before and learned lessons. And in both cases, you know, Katz is new both to the White Sox and new to the job entirely. So I think that's a case where, you know, if you have two new guys, two completely new guys, well, maybe Lewis is not completely new, but new to the team. Then you have a pitching coach who's new to the job. Uh, maybe that's a case where the novelty is showing a little bit. And Matt Carlson also posted in the YouTube comment section, which thank you to everyone watching right now live on youtube.com slash machine. And Matt's bringing up, the, I think, a good point. It seems like Evan Marshall and Matt Foster are the two that are really struggling in the bullpen. And I agree with Matt, Jim, at least to start this season. We have always wondered openly when regression may come for pitchers like Evan Marshall and Matt Foster because – they don't have the elite premium stuff that we see from Crochet or Kopech or even Jose Ruiz or Aaron Bummer or Liam Hendricks. They are different from everybody else in the bullpen. They go about their business in a different manner. And, I mean, they're really struggling. I mean, this isn't the first time that Foster has struggled uh, in two and a third innings now to start 2021. He's allowed six hits and seven runs, which a lot of that damage came uh, today. And then uh, Evan Marshall in three and two thirds innings has allowed six hits and four earned runs. That's a lot of earned runs already given up by both Marshall and Foster, which, you know, from an individual aspect, it's hurting their season ERA. They're going to have to have quite a few clean outings to get a nine ERA back to where we would consider it normal, maybe the mid fours or even below a season four ERA, they're going to have to have a couple good weeks of pitching uh, to really shrink that ERA. But what are your thoughts about what you have seen from both Evan Marshall and Matt Foster through the first seven games? There is a bit of a, you know, as you mentioned, they're regression candidates. So there's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It feels like when watching a pitch and they struggle and you think, Oh, you know, this is what we've been waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think with Marshall, yeah, I think they're two different pitchers and, and two different threats. I think with Marshall, you know, given that he throws three pitches and he can throw them basically in any order, command them uh, accordingly, it might take him like a bit of time or maybe a couple bad outings to create a new wrinkle or create a new sequence, you know, work with Yasmani Grandal or whoever's catching him and, and Ethan Katz to figure out like, okay, how can we mix up how we've been using my three pitches in a different way with different locations and figure out how that works. Foster, I think, is the bigger concern just because he is high fastball. It's basically his his big weapon, then the changeup. And I think today, uh, watching the Mariners, you know, going up and getting them. You know, even mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know guys like with big strike zones and strikeout tendencies were going up and getting them. Uh, whether they were putting them in play with line drives or just fighting them off, you know, uh, fighting off the high fastball and then changeups away or being able to stay out and or keep the hands back enough to like reach out and hook the changeup into the outfield, you know, get it over the infield. Uh, that's, I think, uh, a little bit more worrisome because that's basically his mode. And some guys can keep doing that. Like, you know, we talked about Liam Hendricks when the White Sox acquired him, like he has one way of attacking, but it's a really good way of attacking. It's an elite way of 
using that fastball that few can do. Foster, you know, kind of uses a similar approach. He doesn't have Hendricks' slider, but he, you know, rides that high fastball. But I think this is kind of what you see when it's one, you know, one pitcher who rides a pitch and that pitch isn't necessarily the best of the best. He's got to come up with maybe a different way of doing it or the scouting reports have adapted to him after, you know, one shortened season. And this is now what he has to contend with, the league knowing what he does. Mm-hmm. And if this is how it looks when they're anticipating his high fastball and staying on his changeup enough to at least spoil it or or, or spit on it, uh, then I'm not quite sure where he goes from here unless he does start incorporating the breaking ball more. Well, hopefully the bullpen management gets better. Hopefully the bullpen itself, as far as the pitchers, get better as well. And we get they get back to meeting our expectations, the super bullpen, uh, hoping to be one of the strongest units in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, they are not currently, and we haven't gotten a chance to see the brand spanking new closer, Liam Hendricks, uh, actually operate in a safe situation yet. At least uh, in conventional one, yeah. Games. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of how the bullpen is going. Uh, but let's move over to the offense. Today, Jim, they walked 10 times. The Chicago White Sox walked 10 times. Very refreshing to see Yasmani Grandal and Jake Lamb doing most of the heavy lifting when it comes to the walking. Both of them walked three times. And, you know, the White Sox walking 10 times and collecting six hits at 16 base runners. And they were only able to score four runs. And even though they were down by four, uh, they had an opportunity with the bases loaded, nobody out to cut into that deficit. And they didn't score any runs. As far as the offense right now, we know they're not hitting on all cylinders and they more than likely will not hit on all cylinders at all in 2021. Uh, That would be the disappointing part. And again, that stems from Aloy Jimenez's injury. But the offense so far through the first seven games, uh, how would you view as far as the offense or grade the offensive performance so far? I would say adequate, especially given certain struggles by certain players and the absences of certain players. Then you have like a, your mean Mercedes step up. You have Billy Hamilton, not looking bad at the plate. You mm-hmm. have Zach Holland showing some life and, and coming up with some big hits. So uh, when you see the kind of depth that the White Sox have in their lineup, that maybe they weren't anticipating getting at any point uh, from those guys, I think it could be worse. Um, you know, you have Adam Eaton who hasn't been great. Nick Madrigal has been struggling a little bit, uh, I should also add to the previous column, Jake Lamb. You know, he's only had one game, but he drew three walks. He, uh, you know, trapped a ball at third base. That was pretty tough, you know, to at least for the time being keep a run off the board. So I think he did as much as you could expect from him, especially, you know, when Tony LaRusso batted him second and generated a lot of complaints uh, from the get-go. Uh, the the offense isn't bad. You know, I, I, they've, they've had some moments where they couldn't get a runner home with uh, uh, runners in scoring position. They had a big drought in that regard, but... I've seen them do worse. I, I've seen them come through and redeem themselves here and there. So uh, by and large, I think it's more or less okay. Um, but I just wonder, you know, when you see Hamilton go out, when you see Tim Anderson hurt and Danny Mendick coming up, I just wonder how much more they can try to get from these guys, the second and third tier of offense, uh, when they've already, you know, bailed out the White Sox for the first week. And let's talk about Tim Anderson going on the injured list. This was announced by the Chicago White Sox prior to the game in Seattle today, the series finale. And he's going to be out 10 days, retroactive to April 5th. So the earliest that Anderson can return 
will be April 15th. So he's going to miss both the Kansas City and Cleveland series. So the first seven games against American League Central opponents, Jim, the White Sox will not have Tim Anderson. And we saw him miss 10 games last year due to a hamstring injury. And uh, so it's kind of like deja vu. Here we go again. Anderson Mm -hmm. is not around. Uh, in the middle of the first month of the season. And he seems to always do well against the, against the Kansas City Royals. So that's where it's a bit disappointing. But you talk about the Tier 2 and Tier 3 level of support now for the Chicago White Sox. Their depth getting tested immediately. Uh, Lurie Garcia or Danny Mendick, how do you see the playing time sharing at shortstop with Anderson out? Well, Mendick had a couple of good at bats his first uh, first game back, so I wouldn't mind seeing him get a little bit of run, you know, maybe a couple games in a row just to see where he is. Because we saw him last year, you know, he's somebody who can, you know, for a week or two put together good at bats. Like he has one of the better batting eyes on the thing uh, on the team, I think. Um, you know, especially compared to like say Garcia, his direct competition. Even you know Tim Anderson is somebody who you know thrives on aggression and not really taking pitches but if you don't have him in, in that elite skill set you probably want a little bit more stability when it comes to pitch recognition and, and laying off stuff out of the zone and I think Mendick's the guy there I, I just think when it comes to like basically putting Garcia on the bench and who knows maybe Garcia will be needed left and Mendick has to play uh, anyway at shortstop um, it really puts the the onus on Nick Madrigal I think playing better I think when you're when you're down uh, Anderson is short, and when you have all the problems in the left field, I think Madrigal's got to step up and stabilize at second base. So, you know, when you have Abreu at first and Madrigal at second and Moncada at third, theoretically, it shouldn't matter who plays shortstop for, you know, maybe a week or two at a time, just because that, there should be enough there. The, the skill set's there offensively, and the defense should be there. But Madrigal is just taking, for whatever reason, taking a really long time to adjust to the speed of a major league game. And I would hope that that's something that can uh, stabilize in short order, because if Anderson comes back and Madrigal is still iffy and Mendick's looking OK, I wonder if Larusa will start to wonder, you know, maybe if uh, Mendick should be used to apply pressure mm. at second. Mm. I see where you were going with that. And uh, we did get this comment from David in our YouTube uh, live stream comment section. And he, he's bringing up there's a lot of hate right now on White Sox Twitter. I don't know if it's a combination of hate or maybe just disappointment on how Nick Magical has played in the first seven games of the season. What would you consider a successful season for Magical for the rest of the season? And this is the way I look at it, Jim. Okay, it's early still. It's not an impressive seven-game stretch. Can Magical rebound defensively and offensively? Yes. But Magical in these first seven games is feeding into this fear that a lot of the fan base has had since the White Sox drafted him fourth overall. And I mentioned this on Twitter, but don't look now. Jonathan India of the Cincinnati Reds is playing some really good baseball to start the season. And he was taking one pick after Nick Madrigal. So Madrigal now, whether he likes it or not, is going to be compared to how well Jonathan India is currently playing for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, which adds a little bit more pressure. But, you know, from my perspective, Magical at this moment is not living up to the hype. He's not living up to what I thought he could do for the White Sox when he was selected and what we saw from him in the minor leagues. This seems like a player that's maybe taken a step back as far as in his performance. 
However, there's still 155 more games left to go. I'm just chalking this up as a bad seven games. And I'm hoping that the next month and more is back to the magical that I thought he would be is somebody that is a, you know, he, he slapped some singles around. He had a hustle double today. But the defense, the defense has to be on the same level that Yomer Sanchez provided because I think he can. But if you're not going to be that strong of an offensive hitter, to survive in the major leagues, you got to be a gold glove caliber defensive player then. And right now, Magical is not. We talked about during the uh, about Magical's defense during spring training, and at least I thought that Magical's defense would be on the way up just because mm-hmm. during the spring he had made a bunch of those finer plays, you know, involving you know quicker hands and transfers and uh, body positioning and and having to throw across. Uh, his momentum, you know, those plays that escaped him last year, he was making with regularity during spring training and he'd made them with regularity in the minors. And so thought like, okay, just a little bit of jitters, weird season, maybe shoulder issue uh, last year, you know, especially coming back from the injury, maybe he just was a bad sample of games and he'll get back on track. And so then when he starts the uh, 2021 season, looking exactly the same way and feeding into the, uh, kind of fueling the problems the White Sox have had with pitcher efficiency, with having to use the bullpen too much, with hemorrhaging runs, uh, you know, in clumps, that doesn't help. And no. it's it's hate in a way, you know, I can see like, you know, people think it's a little bit unfair, but it's also timing. And and a lot of defense is timing. Like a lot of, uh, you know, like say Yasmani Grandal, if he drops, uh, you know, pitches over the course of regular season, but the Dodgers, you know, happen to be winning easily, it doesn't matter when he drops pitches in the postseason and he gets replaced, uh, you know, by Austin Barnes. I always have to take a second to remember which one's Barnes and which one's uh, Hedges. Uh, that's <laughs> I, a case where it's, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just, you know, it's not hating. It's just a matter of like defense is sometimes really important when other things aren't going right or when everyone's at a premium. And right now, based on the way the Sox are pitching and the way the offense is, hit or miss and, and kind of wasting opportunities, those outs are really important and Magical is not providing them. So, uh, and then, you know, it soaks the fears that because he has no power at the plate that he needed to be a well-rounded player. He needed to run the base as well, needed to defend well. And if you're taking away the thing that's supposed to buoy his value, then what do you have? And mm. it reminds me a little bit like, you know, and, and this is a completely different player, but I remember the conversation about Tyler Flowers uh, when he was supposed to be a bat first, I guess you can you use Zach Collins as a contemporary uh, comparison a little bit. Uh, somebody who you know was supposed to be a DH, you know, when he was coming up uh, through the system, you know, maybe a catcher, but definitely a DH, definitely major league power. And then that you know he came up to the majors, didn't have it, just couldn't make enough contact to make the power play up. You know, bounce back and forth. You know, AJ Pierzynski covered for him a lot because Pierzynski basically never sat. But he eventually developed a uh, you know, the reputation for being an excellent receiver, and that basically was the thing that carried him. Uh, in this case, with Magical, I don't know where he goes if the defense isn't there just because you know he's not going to hit for any power. He's already kind of maxed out his batting average, or we saw what that looked like last year when he maxed out his hit tool and got all he could from that. So you know, you're basically left with somebody you don't mind playing, but also can can hurt you at key times. And that's something I think is something that uh, is the reason why there's so much apprehension. Maybe, maybe hates the wrong word out. He's apprehension about Madrigal's future. And so I think the next few weeks, I think are really important just to, you know, as the uh, infield stabilizes, hopefully Anderson returns and 
Then they have options at second base. Hopefully that's a case where Magical will use that time to iron out whatever he's got with the speed of the game problems in the field and stop making those errors because I think, you know, we, we've seen what the White Sox look like when they have good defense at second, whether it was Mendick last year or Sanchez there, and they can live with that. They can't live with the the errors at second base that feed a pitching staff that right now at least can't is having a hard time covering for those extra outs. And they need a second baseman that does a better job turning two. Mm-hmm. That is a struggle right now for the Chicago White Sox. They are missing out on opportunities for double plays and magical unfortunately is at the heart of it, whether starting them or trying to be turning the, the double play back to the first baseman, everything seems to be off right now for Nick magical, but hopefully he will rebound. And especially at a time that the white Sox need somebody in the middle of the infield to step up. Before we preview the home opening series against the Kansas city Royals, a quick word from our sponsor clear. I'm sure everyone is getting stir crazy because of this pandemic. I know I am. I'll be getting my second vaccine soon, uh, looking ahead to where I am flying to this summer to get out of the house, thinking of visiting my friends in Florida, visiting Austin, Texas for the first time, maybe catch the White Sox at Arlington, and I've got a wedding in New Orleans to get to in October. I've got places to be, and I'll be flying real soon. If you are like me, planning out trips, make sure to sign up for Clear. Clear is a secure identity platform that creates frictionless journeys at airports and beyond. Move faster through airport security and feel confident returning to who, where, and what you love. With Clear, all you need is you. After a quick one-time enrollment with your government-issued ID, you can use just your face or eyes for safer, touchless entry at airports, stadiums, and more. I frequently use Clear at the airport. I signed up pre-pandemic times at New Orleans. I worked with the Clear ambassador who helped me complete my registration. Clear makes the process of checking through security really effortless. I don't have to fumble around with my bag to dig out my wallet and all of my IDs. I just need a quick snapshot of my face and I'm good to go. And my Clear ID works on their network across the nation. So I'm always looking for Clear kiosks no matter what airport I'm traveling out of. And the good news, speaking of airports, is that we're going to be able to fly again and go on vacations. The bad news, so is everyone else. Airports are going to be crazy packed, which means security is going to be crazy packed. Do what I did and sign up for Clear. There's even family plans that start at $50 per person for a year, and kids under the age of 18 can tag along for free. For those that are TSA pre-check, I've got TSA pre-check too, and I still use Clear. It's worth it. For a limited time, you can get your first two months free with Clear by visiting clearme.com slash socksmachine and use promo code socksmachine. That's C-L-E-A-R-M-E dot com slash socksmachine for your first two months of Clear for free. Make your next trip at the airport fast, safe, and easy as possible using Clear. Again, don't forget our promo code at clearme.com slash socksmachine when signing up. And honestly, I can't wait to get out of the house and start visiting other baseball stadiums and maybe tagging along with the Chicago White Sox. Jim, I know you got trips planned as well this upcoming summer. Uh, But, you know, speaking as far as flying, both the Chicago White Sox and the Kansas City Royals are flying to Chicago. Segway. Exactly. As the White Sox are making their trek from Seattle 
and uh, Kansas City's making their trek from Cleveland. Uh, Kansas City had the cooler airplane. They got the Star Wars theme. United Jet uh, to fly him to Chicago. I'm pretty jealous about that. But anyways, uh, let's talk about this upcoming series preview for the Chicago White Sox. Again, it is their home opener against the Kansas City Royals. And taking a look at the Kansas City Royals, they're currently 3-2 and two on the season. They lost their last game against the Cleveland Indians, 4-2. to two. Runs per game, they are averaging 6.6 runs early in the 2021 season. Their opening series against the Texas Rangers uh, those were barn burner of games. Uh, runs allowed per game, they are allowing five runs per game. The probable pitchers for this upcoming series, starting on Thursday, April 8th, this is a 3.10 p.m. Central Time start. It will be Lance Lynn of the Chicago White Sox against Brad Keller. For Saturday, April 10th, 1.10 p.m. Central Time, Dylan Cease will make his second start. The Kansas City Royals have the uh, very secretive do, to be announced for Saturday and Sunday as the White Sox will have Carlos Rodon wrapping up as far as the home opening series on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. So after all of these late games on the West Coast, uh, we're going to have some afternoon baseball in the upcoming days for the White Sox. Weather-wise, does look like it's going to hold up uh, for Thursday as far as the home opener. There might be some rain in the Chicago area. Uh, in the morning, but for first pitch, it should be dry enough for the White Sox to play, and they have the Friday day off, which we'll get into in a moment, because I know that usually makes White Sox fans mad, but I think I have, uh, I'm looking at a different perspective. But overall, looking at this series, Jim, when I watched the Kansas City Royals to start the season against both Texas and Cleveland, I see a very frisky team. I don't know how well they're going to be on the run prevention side. I don't think they have enough pitching at all to make the postseason. But this offense, this offense could get on you in a hurry. And they do a little bit of everything. They got some contact guys. They got some speed guys. And they got some power in this lineup. And if you don't take them seriously, they're going to hurt you. And I think this is going to be a tougher series than – most White Sox fans or maybe even the White Sox players in the clubhouse uh, would think of with the Kansas City Royals coming to town. I think Kansas City's got bad intentions for the White Sox, and they really want to spoil the home opener and surprise some folks in the American League. How are you feeling about this opening series between the Royals and White Sox? Well, my first thought is that, you know, with Brad Keller on the mound, it's a shame that Tim Anderson is out because, <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, you know, beyond just the – Clips of Anderson tossing the bat and jawing and Sal Perez getting in the way and so forth. It's just, you know, it's fun. It, it makes for a fun storyline carrying over year after year. And so it's disappointing that Anderson isn't there for it. But when it comes to the Royals, like as a whole, um, I think what I see or, or I'm curious to see unfold is the value of trying. Like, you know, the, if, if they had a quiet offseason and decide to run with like, you know, NRIs or or prospects or, or, or half prospects for a guys to fill out the roster while not spending and waiting a year, it would have been perfectly defensible, you know, especially since they have young pitching, they're trying to get all lined up and that's not mm -hmm. quite there yet, but you know, they, they added Carlos Santana, they traded for Andrew Benintendi, you know, it's an offense that's full, you know, it's, you know, maybe bits, you can run hot and cold and maybe Santana's on the decline and Benintendi's, you know, maybe he's on the decline too, even though he's in his, you know, uh, mid twenties, but there's just like, a, the, when you look at the offense one through nine, there aren't any historically easy outs aside from maybe Nicky Lopez, who's actually hitting really well right now. So 
they're feisty. You know, they're, they're, they, they look like they, you know, they're a team that the front office said, all right, try to compete. Like mm-hmm. we're not going to hold against you if you win. We're not going to be looking at the reverse standings, hoping to draft order. If we win 80 games, that'll be cool. Like they'll just be, we want to see us win games is what the front office says. And, you know, having seen a White Sox team that, that did not try that route and, uh, and then, you know, with the way the roster was and, and with the way the White Sox didn't pursue depth, uh, we kind of saw the limitations of tanking when you don't, you know, back it up with over, overspending and over allocating after the tank. I, I think that may kind of makes the whole losing on purpose thing moot. And so um, I, I find the Royals approach rather refreshing. They didn't really, um, there, there's no harm in what they've done. They, they haven't, uh, mortgage the future. They haven't you know, screwed up the payroll. They're, they're basically trying a year, uh, a year to year plan right now. But I think for the time being, it's a real team. <laughs> I think uh, we, we haven't been able to say that about the Royals uh, in, in a couple of years and, and the Tigers, we haven't been able to say that about, but when the division has, you know, four real teams, I think it's a, a different proposition for the White Sox. And I think it makes them work a little harder. Sure. I think Kansas city is going to finish third in the American League Central this year, Jim. I like this Kansas hmm. City team more than I like the Cleveland team. That that hmm. offense for Cleveland is not good now. It's not going to be good in a month. It's not going to be good in the second half of the season unless they really reverse course as far as the way that they build that roster and make some significant additions to the trade deadline. The Cleveland Indians are not a good offensive ball club. And right now I'm going to take the side of the team that will put up runs more consistently throughout the week in multiple series than the team that's relying on two very good starting pitchers like Cleveland is. So that's why I think Kansas city is going to finish third in the American league central. And I, this is a really good, this is a good test for the Chicago white Sox, a team that had a lot of hype coming into this season. This is your home opener for the first time since 2019, there's going to be fans in the stands and these fans are going to be really pumped up. And if it is, Six to one Kansas City going to the seventh inning. You are going to hear booze, White Sox fans. <laughs> I think you say third inning. Oh man, even any inning, any <laughs> inning. Okay, there it's going to feel kind of like a as much of a playoff atmosphere can feel with nine thousand fans in the stands. But the expectations are much different. Uh, Jose Abreu will be given his 2020 American League MVP award. Uh, we know the White Sox always do a good job on opening day to pump up the crowd. Hopefully the White Sox also step up their play as far as on the field. And, you know, with Lance Lynn on the mound, uh, I, I have confidence that he can hold his own against the Kansas City lineup. I, I'm still optimistic that the White Sox can win this series. And right now, at this stage of the 2021 season, with the injuries the White Sox have suffered, I think that is critical. Yeah, the mm-hmm. third game in the Seattle series sucked. But the White Sox still won that series, and they need to string along series wins until they get back, until they get Tim Anderson back and some other players back as well uh, that have been hurt. Uh, until then, just try to focus and try to win these series and grind out series wins. and And I'm hoping that they can win two out of three against Kansas City this weekend, and I'm hoping they win at least two games against Cleveland next week because I think, and you and I have talked about this that the way that Cleveland plays baseball uh, <laughs> puts the White Sox at a disadvantage because they don't like to play those types of games. Uh, if the White Sox in this seven-game homestand, gym go four and three, 
I think I'm happy with that if they are seven and seven after the first 14 games with everything that has transpired. How do you feel and what are your expectations for the White Sox with this seven game homestand? Yeah, I think before the season, when, you know, before, say, Eloy Jimenez's injury, I think, you know, a four and three homestand, a, a 500 record after the first two weeks, that would be disappointing. That'd be mm-hmm. kind of low standards. But right now, with everything going on with the number of short starts, the bullpen being, we're seeing too much action with uh, problems at shortstop and left field. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a treading water right now, where if you can keep 500 for the first few weeks until, like, say, Tim Anderson comes back and the pitching staff delivers, you know, would, they haven't even done a quality start yet. So at least, you know, maybe a couple quality starts in a row. Then I think uh, that's more or less a time where you can start stepping on the gas pedal a little bit for, but for right now, it's really more about not quite survival, but just figuring themselves out. And I think Lance Lynn is really the perfect guy for the home opener, just because he is the, this year guy, um, you know, mm-hmm. Lucas Giolito, he's been with the team for a while. He will be um, Dallas Keuchel's got a year left and uh, Dylan Cease is still a project. And Carlos Rodon is, you know, whatever you get from him, you get, but Lance Lynn was the guy brought in to make the White Sox contenders and, and, and legit playoff contenders and, and a deep run team in 2021. So if he comes out and he throws a quality start and puts the White Sox, you know, hands, hands the White Sox bullpen, the good relievers, uh, a lead in the seventh, eighth, or ninth innings, then that's, I think, uh, what you want for a tone setter as much as tone matters. But I think, you know, should Lynn have a rough start or if, you know, poor defense undermines him and he has to throw 90 pitches through four innings and it's another, the game follows the same script that it had, you know, for the first week of the season, then, uh, yeah, it's a case where the fans can get antsy. And I think having that direct fan feedback for a, a game like this, uh, given the week that they had and what the fans watched, uh, I guess the prior knowledge the fans are bringing into this game, uh, might not have the healthiest atmosphere, you know, should they, should some of the same problems resurface. Yeah. It's just not going to be White Sox Twitter that mm-hmm. will be angry. It'll actually be real people <laughs> in the stands being angry at you even though it will be 9,000 fans at the stadium. But it is exciting. It's great news that there are fans in the stands for this opening series for the Chicago White Sox at home. We've come a long way since the pandemic, and hopefully the trend continues. And Are you going to any of the games? I am unfortunately not going to any of the home opening games. Uh, my When it was my turn to buy tickets, most of the tickets were already sold. So I must have gotten my 20 games, uh, 20 games season ticket plan a little later. Um, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm good. Again, I get my second vaccine shot on uh, April 19th. Uh, and after that, then I will feel real confident uh, going back into yeah. public. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, my, hopefully my 20-game plan will kick in, and then I'll be at those games and enjoying being back at the the stadium for the first time since 2019. I, I can't wait for that feeling. But, you know, for the White Sox fans that are going, and we are going to hear this on Friday on how oh, this sucks, I can't believe that there's a White Sox game. I think that everything has transpired so far, Jim, and I feel like this home opener is going to be a tough contest for the White Sox. I feel like they could use a day off. <laughs> and yeah, and th- this come this would be coming at a good time. Just to, if you could win this game, great. You can enjoy it for the next twenty four hours. Uh, you can not necessarily relax, but maybe refresh. Give guys a day off of their feet. Prevent any further injuries to this ball club. 
So I just want to get out in front and say that I think for the White Sox, for this particular year and this particular season, having this Friday off is a good thing for the White Sox. Yeah, I think you'll have a lot of company in that regard just because of the West Coast trip, having all those uh, 9 o'clock start times, 10 o'clock on the East Coast and you know, not even a Sunday day game to break it up, you know, not even in, uh, mm-hmm. in a day game until this last one, which was another, you know, nearly four hour slog. So <laughs> they could only use both an off day and both like a sub three hour game, like a, a very tidy, cleanly played game that uh, uh, allows fans just to not think that this year is going to be work <laughs> because <laughs> the first week of the season has felt like work to follow. That's a good point. It, it has been trudging along in the mud watching this team and it, yeah, it, it's work for us but it shouldn't be work for people who don't work after the last out <laughs> exactly 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 hopefully everything will go smoothly on in the home opener lance lynn is terrific the white Sox score some runs maybe hit some home runs and everybody is happy leaving the stadium on thursday and the white Sox are back to 500, but this is a pretty key stretch right now for the White Sox. I think it's a good barometer for the roster that they currently have, not having Aloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson to see where they could possibly be and how well they could play without two of their star players in the lineup. We shall see, but we will be recapping. As far as the home opener, you can check out White Sox Wake Up Call. That will be in your podcast feeds on Friday morning, recapping what has happened on the home opener and all of the happenings around Major League Baseball. Jim and I will reconvene for Monday Sox Machine podcast to recap as far as the Kansas City series and preview the upcoming series against the Cleveland Indians, which is a four-gamer, which means more than likely the White Sox are going to see both Zach Plesak and Shane Bieber, who have given the White Sox issues, especially how well they both pitched last year. But that will do it for this Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that watched the live stream at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. And speaking of YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. We've had a huge wave of subscribers so far. Thank you guys to everyone that has subscribed to the YouTube channel. It's terrific to see. We've already gotten over 200 subscribers. So the more, the merrier. And if you don't enjoy the video feed, if you don't enjoy watching Jim and I, uh, again, every episode that Aww. we do on YouTube uh, will be available on our podcast feed, which you can listen to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And don't forget, uh, if you enjoy our work, you can also help support us by signing up at patreon.com slash Machine, where we have several different monthly tiers of support for $2, $3, $5, or $10 a month, where you get exclusive content, additional content, and also first shots at any of our Socks Machine swag. Jim, I know you tweeted out a photo that the Socks Machine hoodies are have been sent out and they will be arriving soon. Yes, uh, they're in the mail, the, 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 the hoodies that were ordered during the open back order period, and the ones I have left will be going on sale tomorrow. I just have to make sure that, you know, inspect each one and make sure that uh, I have the inventory accurate before doing so. But, yeah, check tomorrow on the site, uh, on Twitter, et cetera. I'll, I'll let everybody know that the hoodies are back, and if you're thinking about getting one, I'd probably act soon because I think I have, uh, when the smoke clears, I'll have less than 10 left. Dang, you guys have been awesome buying those Sox Machine hoodies. They are great hoodies. 
I love my hoodie very much. So again, go to SocksMachine.com and pick up a hoodie once they go live in the store tomorrow. But that will do it for Socks Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that has watched and thank you to everyone that has listened on the Socks Machine podcast feed. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. Pop some new cascade in your dishwasher with 50% more cleaning power. 50% more cleaning power. New cascade does it better. 50% more cleaning power. New cascade does it cleaner. Switch to new cascade platinum with 50% more cleaning power. No need to rinse your dishes and it's even strong enough for the quick wash cycle. New Cascade Platinum. Pop some new Cascade in your dishwasher with 50% more cleaning power. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.